That's better. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you a story this morning. started when I was in the Air Force Band. Um, we would get to go to all kinds of different places across the country and in different countries, play at different cities and different places. Um, when, every time we went someplace, there was a sponsor there, we called them. That sponsor took care of hotels, um, the venues where we were going to play, advertisement, things like that. But then they also kicked in a couple of uh, bennies kind of thing. They would um, maybe take us on a tour of their local areas. Um, maybe they would take us to a nice restaurant in the local area. Um, when we were in North Carolina, though, they took us golfing. I don't know if you know about North Carolina, but they like their golf in North Carolina. There's a lot of really cool um, PG-level tour um, uh, courses there. And they took us to one. It was, it's, I have a picture of it here. This is Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. PGA tours happen there. Uh, events happen there all the time. And it's a private club, impossible to get on unless you know the right guy. Well, we knew the right guy. So he got us set up, and we were going to go golfing at this place. And we were looking forward to it. And I'm not bragging here or anything, but... Back in the day, in those days, um, before I had kids, were they not here? Before I had kids, I golfed a lot, and I was a pretty good golfer. So I was really looking forward to going to this course and playing this course and, you know, challenging us. There were about three, four other guys that were kind of in the same boat. Okay, so fast forward now to we're on the tee box, right? We're ready to tee off on this morning. We've been thinking about it for months. Um, our, our sponsors are up on their little golf carts watching us, and one of, us, one of them is going to come with kind of as our caddy to tell us about the course and, you know, give us some advice and things like that. And on the tee box... There's this dude standing over here. I call him little British dude. He's about so high, he's got one of those British hats on and the accent to go with it. And he's got some tees in his hand. And so we pick tees, and the longest one goes first and that kind of thing. So I pick the longest tee I get to go first. I tee up that ball. And like I said, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I am going to rip the cover off of this ball. So I take it, and I'm looking at it. It's a perfect morning. You know, sun is shining. Birds are singing. Wind is just slight. And I took a swing at that thing, and everything I had, I left my shoes behind me. And I swung. And you know how a golf ball has those little dimples on them? I think I may have skinned the top dimple on the ball. And it went about to where Al is sitting, right there. And I was like, ugh, I was crushed, you know. And dead silence. Nobody said a word. My friends wanted to laugh and guffaw, but I mean, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. And British dude over here, he's standing there very calmly, and he says, all right, sir, something to this effect, all right, sir, enough with the warm-ups. Shall we begin your round? And he's handing me a golf ball. And I said, yes, we shall begin that round, right? Other part of that story, by the way, into that story, I teed that thing up, and I smacked, that was one of the best drives of my life. It left a vapor trail, you know, like a fire steam through and going through. All right, so why do I tell you that story? Mostly so I can tell you that last part about that drive that I hit right there, right? But um, we're talking about forgiveness this morning. Um, I titled this message, The Forgetful God. So how does God deal with our sins, and how does um, he deal with us as, as sinners? Well, you know what? We're going to learn how um, he's a forgetful God a little bit. Kind of like this British guy over here was just, ah, forget about that one. Let's just start again. You know, every once in a while, we just need a mulligan in life, and God is there for us to give us that kind of thing. Okay, but before we get to that whole forgiveness part, where I really want to, you know, pitch our tent, park our car, take out the door with us, we've got to set it up. We've got to set up the why. Why do we need this forgiveness? And there's a, prog- a progression that we need to understand, a progression that we need to uh, recognize, and a progression that we need to apply to our lives because we're living in it. We've got to identify it. We've got to be able to understand it a little bit. So the first part of that progression that we have to understand is this word relationship. Okay, so now I hope, when I say these next words, I hope you say, I've heard him say that before. 
Because I try to say it as often as we can because this is what we do. This is where we are and this is why we come to places like this, right? Because God created you, right, to be in a relationship with him. That is our purpose. You know, Rick Warren made like a kajillion dollars on a book called The Purpose Driven Life. He could have made it in one word. What's your purpose in life? A relationship with God. Who we marry what house we buy, what car we drive, where we go to college, what job, all those are good and important. Those are all, to God, those scribbling and dibbling details. Our main focus, our main purpose is have that, to have a relationship with him. Several verses in the Bible point that out and say exactly that. And I say this all the time. When God is clear about his message, it is, it's with clarity and it's, it's with certainty. Right? There's no doubt about it. Sometimes we get wrapped around the axle. We're wondering about this and that. And how does that work? And where does that work? When God wants us to know something, he's straight down the middle with it. He's like, there's no doubt about it. This is what I'm talking about. And this is what I want. I could have picked 20 verses, literally 20 verses. I'm, I like Revelation 3.20. It's one of my favorite verses. This is Jesus speaking, right? About that relationship with us, right? He says, look, I stand at the door and knock, right? If you hear my voice and open the door, and I want to well, I'll finish it and then I'll come back. I will come in. If you not hear my voice, open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. We will fellowship together. We will have a relationship together. Some key words in this that we have to understand. We have to see what Jesus is actually saying here. That if, that's the prodosis, not the apodosis. That's the since you hear my voice. Right? Since you hear my voice, and that should be telling us something that we, we can understand when Jesus is talking to us. The if of that sentence comes, if you open the door, then I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So if we will do that, so Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. I want that relationship with you. I'm standing there and knocking on and I'm making sure that you can hear it. And try to ignore it and try to go on and try to pretend it didn't happen. Now, okay, yeah, on your heads be it. But he says, I am there. If you'll open that door, I will come in. This is the key to everything we do here. Having that relationship with God. Understanding that that's what we're here for. Having a relationship with God means actually knowing God. Not just knowing about him. Right? We share a lot of words here. We share a lot of information here. But if we don't apply that to our lives and we don't actually start owning that and knowing God and making that a different, have a difference in our lives, then we might as well be doing something else. We've got to understand God's words, those words that are for us, those words that strengthen us, strengthen our relationship with him, strengthen our trust in him, right? strengthen us, and we put our faith then, put our faith into action. To put it another way, very simply, again, just knowing about God, just knowing about God is not a saving kind of faith or a saving kind of belief. You don't believe me? Look at James 2.19. James says, you believe there's one God, well, good for you, right? Even the demons know that, right? And they shake with fear. So if we just know about God and we don't do anything about it, don't take any other steps, right? Demons don't have a personal relationship with God. Even though it's past belief for demons, they know it. They experience, they understand it. Why do you think they're shaking with fear? Well, because they know the end game coming up. But they would rather, you know, be locked into this rebellion this evil, rather serve the father of lies, who scripture says has been a murderer from the beginning, a thief and a robber. But they're shaken with fear, like I said, because they know the end game. So knowing about God, I should say it the other way around, knowing God is more than just some kind of mental exercise. 
Because God desires that total worship, right? Everything that we've got, involving our total being. God desires to have a relationship with you. That's why he created you. But we mess it up, right? We live our lives the way we want to. So in that relationship, that we mess that relationship up and we call that separation, right? That's the second step in this progress and the progression that we're talking about here. We're constantly separating ourselves from our creator. And I'm here to tell you this. A, it happens more often than you think. And B, it's a far bigger deal. It's far more serious than you think. And we sum it up here we don't like to say it, you know, we don't like to mention this word in, you know, polite conversation. It's that three little word called sin, right? The sin in our lives is what causes that rift in our relationship with God. Maybe we should make that word a lot bigger, you know, with a lot more syllables and more consonants in it. Because the Bible is very clear, like I said, clear, clarity, certainty. The Bible talks about God's reaction to our sin. We're going to talk about this in a second. We're talking about the, uh, the God's reaction to our sin in our lives. You've probably seen a lot of these. I'm going into the you know, deeper part. Habakkuk says this. I'm sure you, um, maybe this is a new one for you. One thirteen says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on, witness, on, I'm sorry, on wickedness with favor. That's um, NASB 95 version. NLT version says something more like this. You are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. And then the NLT says, will you just wink, God, at their treachery? You know, we do that, right? Ah, we know we shouldn't be doing that. Ah, winking and nudging. Ah, it's okay. It's, just go ahead with it, right? But that's not how God sees it. God says, no, I'm turning my eyes from that. So we should probably take a quick look at that three-letter word, S-I-N, and see why it's such a big deal and see why we need to, A, deal with it and B, avoid it. First of all, let me just say this. We're talking about sin. If you think I'm pointing fingers, you're right. I am pointing fingers. Romans 3.23, that's supposed to be funny, by the way. You guys are hanging on this. Oh, there we go. All right. Romans 3.23 says it like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, um, so this is in Greek, right? And I like to uh, met out some Greek words for us. We're going to talk about some Hebrew and some Greek words coming up here this morning. I want to just talk about that word all. I think I pointed this out before. The Greek word for all means all. Right? Including your pastor standing in front of you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm sorry if that disappoints you. Um, Jared has locked the door so you guys can't leave, right? <laughs> it's, we're all in it together, right? We're all in this. We're all experiencing it. We all fall into the same category. And you might be thinking right now, this guy has no idea what category I'm in. And I'll give you that one. But God does. He knows where we've been. He's no, he knows what we do. He knows what we think. And he says, I'm going to meet you right there, and I'm going to bring you back to me. That word, ha- um, all have sinned. I want to talk about this, too. I wasn't really planning on this this morning. But that word, have sinned, um, Greek verbs work a lot different than English verbs. Um, in this one, it sounds like it's in the past tense, right? All have sinned, and that's true. It is in the past tense. But in this Greek verb, it's also in the present tense, and it's also in the future tense. So this sentence should say, all have sinned, are, are currently sinning, and will continue to sin. All of us are a mess when it comes right down to it. All of us have that that separates us from God. 
biblical definition of the word sin, I think it's a good idea to just talk about that, to look at that. Um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're very similar. They have a couple of different nuances to them. Um, the root word in, in Hebrew is, is kind of an easy one, kata. Just everybody say kata. In, the, in Greek, it's harmartia. Harmartia. Okay. And at their roots, uh, the, at their roots, these words really have nothing to do with our relationship with God. If you stay with me for a second. They have nothing to do with our relationship with God. But these words have several nuances of flavor to them. For example, um, in Hebrew, kata means um, to follow the wrong path. Which is why we get verses like in Psalm 23 that says God will lead us down the right path. The path of righteousness. Literally the right path. Another word, um, a meaning of both kata and uh, harmartia is to miss the mark. I've told you this before. Hopefully you're saying in your head right now, I've heard him say that before. Right? It's an Olympic term, right, in Greek. So uh, when the, uh, in the Olympics, you know, they'd be shooting their bow and arrow, shooting archery at these little targets, right? And if they miss the bullseye, it's called harmartia. They missed the mark. Take a look at this example. I've got a fun one for us. This is going to take just a minute for this video about Harmartia. And this is kind of how we miss the mark that God sets up for us. So, okay, so this word shows up in the Bible in different places to show us what it means and what we're talking about here. Uh, in the book of Judges, I found the, in a, a good example of it. Judges 20, verse 16. Um, it's kind of out of context, but you get, you get the idea. Among all these men were 700 who were left-handed. Shout out to those of you who are left-handed out there. Each of, them, each of them could sling a stone at a hair and not kata, right? And not miss, not kata. That's what we're talking about here. So hitting the mark. As opposed to those girls in the clip, these left-handed dudes apparently could do this really well. So, okay, when we put all these things up um, in, in Hebrew and we start looking at it also in Greek, this is where things should really come into focus for us and, and like I said, impact our lives. Because the Greek word harmartia, it goes beyond uh, missing the mark. When we're starting to talk about our relationship with God, it literally means, this word literally means, if you're taking notes, um, to be without a share in. To be without a share in. To literally forfeit your inheritance. The word sin means to forfeit your, your inheritance. It also means this. It means to choose a side. You know, like Joshua said, choose today who you're going to follow, right? That's what harmartia means, to choose a side. Because with that sin in our lives and us just not caring about it, that leads to separation from God. Getting the point here, right? It's a big deal. We go from being joint heirs with Christ to being forfeiting our inheritance. Just one more, make sure we have, uh, we're on the same page that we have been on, right? So like I said earlier, um, all have sinned. 
um, unique verb that we have sinned, are currently sinning, will continue to sin on. Okay, so, okay, what does it mean to look like? What's God's reaction to that, right? Why do I say our sin separates us from God? Where does that even come from, right? You should ask questions like that. Well, look at Isaiah 59, 2. It says it very clearly, very plainly. It is your sins that separate you from your God. It is your kata that separates you from your God. He turns away from you when he sees them. Lord, have mercy, right? Are you kidding me? Your sins that separate you from God. This is the moment where I say, but. Or maybe even more importantly, but God. Why do we say that it's so important? Every morning I say it. This is the first thing we do, and this is very important for us to do. We quote the, quote the book of 1 John. You heard Allie read it here a few minutes ago. I'm going to point out a couple things here. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I say it a little bit differently than that, but you get it. What does confess mean, anyway? Maybe it means to admit guilt, like we would say in English. But really, the root word of that means to agree. To stop disagreeing. It means to speak the same words. I'm not saying the words God wants me to say. Now I'm going to confess, I'm going to turn that around, I'm going to start thinking the way he wants me to think, I'm going to start speaking the way he wants me to speak. It means to concede. To understand that we're on the wrong path and we need to get on the right path. So first we have that relationship. Second of all, the second step in that progress and that progression is that we are separated from God. The third step is God's forgiveness. That's where we're going with this. God goes on to describe how that forgiveness that we saw back in 1 John, you know, he was faithful and just to forgive our sins, right? Forget them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You heard it from Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah a minute ago. Look at it in Isaiah 43, just so we can see more of them saying the same thing. 43, 25. He says, I alone am the one who wipes out your wrongdoings. And then he says, for my own sake. And then he says, I will not remember your sins. Or sometimes we say, I will remember your sins no more. Right? Just like my British dude friend over here, he said, ah, we're going to forget about that one. Right? We're not going to let that shot affect your round. God says, I'm not going to let your sin affect our relationship. Because your sin separates us, and then we don't have that relationship. And why is he doing it? Not for your sake. He says, for my sake. God says, I created you to have that relationship, and now you've messed it up, or it's messed up, and so I'm putting it back together again because that's what I want. I'm taking it away so that I can remember, or so they can have that, and I will remember your sins no more. Um, that's what forgiveness means. It means to, to not let this affect our relationship. Right? We say, well, we have a forgetful God. Well, however, I don't, well, however you want to look at it. Just like that, that ball didn't affect my round. He said, well, we're going to just keep going. We're not going to let it affect us. I'm not going to let your sin affect our future. How am I going to do that? I'm going to take it away. I'm going to get it out of you. I'm not going to let it pa- uh, affect our past. I'm not going to let your past affect our relationship or our future. And I'm doing it for my own sake. I'm doing this because I, God says, I want our relationship. So like I said, apparently we have this forgetful God who conveniently forgets or has a selective memory, again, however you want to think about it or phrase it. And not only that, but God paints this forgiveness in several different ways. 
For example, one of my favorite ways to look at this, and I just want to bring this up again this morning, Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I brought this globe in. I did this one um, Easter a couple years ago. I just wanted to show you the words that God uses and why he uses the words he does. Right? He says, as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. But stay with me now. If you start north, even on the North Pole, and you start heading south, eventually you're going to start heading north again. You can only go so far south. But if you start heading east, where's Wisconsin here? If you start heading east, let me go a little bit further south. You start heading east, you get to Africa, here's Algeria, here's Saudi Arabia, here's India, China, we're going past Japan, we're still heading east, still heading east, still heading east. We still get here, now we're still heading east the whole time. If you're heading east, you never get west. You can, you can always keep going east. So God says this, as I forgive your sins, he says, I'm going to put them so far away that you'll never be able to find them again. If you think those sins are going to be able to, to affect our relationship, it's not going to happen. He said, ah, go out and find them. If you can find them, then we'll talk about them again. You start heading east and you never stop. You never find these. That's why he says, I put them as far as the east is from the west. That's an infinite amount of space. That's an infinite amount of time. All because of Christ. All because of the, the victory that Jesus had for us. Jesus came here and, again, made us clean, made us joint heirs with him. All because of that sacrifice that he made, the, the victory over, we call it, sin, death, and the power of the devil. So when we wake up, when we wake up to the fact that our sin actually matters, our sin actually affects our relationship, our sin is actually the biggest obstacle in our lives, because what's the biggest thing in our life? What's our purpose? Is to have a relationship with God. Our sin messes that up. When we can come to that realization that our relationship with God is the most important thing, when we start to live in the light, we start to live in the light, step into that light, right? Step out of the darkness. First John says that too. God takes it from there. Verse 7 says, But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, if we went back two verses, we would understand that we have a relationship with each other. We might confuse that a little bit and think we have a relationship with each other, fellowship with each other. No, it's our fellowship, it's our relationship with God. That's who we're talking about, the f verse 5 and verse 6. But if we are living in the light, God is in the light, then we have fellowship with God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? All sin, all unrighteousness. Again, that's crystal clear. No doubt about it. No wondering, no getting wrapped around the axle, no thinking, well, what about this, what about that? No, here it is. We're living in the light, God is in the light. Then we have fellowship with God. We have that relationship restored again with God. And then everything else that we talked about that we forfeit back there falls into place. Like being joint heirs with his son, with Christ. Everything that he has then belongs to us. And again, just like everything else we talk about here, right? and I try to emphasize this every time I stand up in front of you guys, it's not just enough to hear the words that I'm speaking or that we're reading. It's not enough. We actually have to start doing those words. Actually, God's words that we're, we're sharing together here, 
It's not enough just to hear them. We have to apply these words to our lives so that we can live in fellowship with him. Apply these words to our lives so that we can live in fellowship, have that relationship with him. That's our challenge for the week. How can we apply these words? How can we do what God is asking us to do? Well, we confess and say, I'm messing it up. And I'm not sure even where I'm messing it up or how I'm messing it up, but I don't want that anymore. I want that relationship with you. So when we start applying these words, we actually start living it out, actually taking these steps. God says, I got you. And as far as the east is from the west, you'll never find him again. And now we have that fellowship together again. And you are again joint heirs with him. We can live in fellowship with him and not live a life separated from him. You picking up what I'm putting down? All right, let's stand with me, please.